You're listening to Pastor Matt Gregory from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded Sunday, May 2nd, 2021. For more information about our church, visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or find us on all things social at svbcfamily. Worship this morning. Let's be seated if you would. Brother Matt Gregory is associated with the uh, Virginia Southern Baptist Convention. He's involved in church planning and, uh, matter of fact, planted a church down the other side of Fredericksburg. How many years ago? This side of Fredericksburg. How many years? Sixteen. Amen. Amen. And um, uh, helping other church planners in our SBC uh, here in Virginia. And I'll get another church to start. So I've asked him to come and if he'd speak, you know, getting back off the road. Just wanted to have some time and everything to sit down and enjoy having somebody preach to me, you know, once in a while. So, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you, brother. This is all yours and all. And uh, let's give Matt a hand this morning as he comes to speak. Here or yeah. okay. well, good morning. It's good to be here. I have uh, a little bit of uh, knowledge of your history, your heritage here at the church. Um, I was telling Pastor Don, back in the 80s, I have uh, was a student at uh, Mount Carmel Christian Academy. I played in some sports tournaments here in your facilities, and, and uh, from a distance, I've been a little bit aware of your church for quite some time, and so it's an honor to be here today. And um, I don't often, in fact, this, I was trying to think the last time I have uh, been outside of my church uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's been a long time. It's, back, it's been so long I can't remember the last time. And so it's an honor to be here and uh, uh, get a little change of pace for all of us here. And so hopefully Pastor Don gets some rest and he'll get back to doing what he's supposed to be doing next week, right? You don't want him taking off all the time. So, all right. I'm glad to be here with you. Let's pray together as we go. We're going to be looking at John chapter 17, uh, entitled today, A Beautiful Life. And uh, let's, we'll look at that in just a moment. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and just to listen in on a conversation that you and your son Jesus had. And I pray that we will will take away from that um, what we should uh, make our lives entirely about. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can you hear me okay? All right, sometimes uh, I get a different uh, mic system than what I'm used to. I I don't always have it wired up correctly. I'm used to one on my lapel, not coming out of my ear here, so I just want to make sure it's okay. Um, We're going to be in John chapter 17, and uh, sometimes I'm going to forget to do this. uh, We'll go ahead and move along here. There we go. Oops, I've advanced too much now. Okay, there we go. We're going to look at John chapter 17. Let me just kind of set the stage for you. Uh, In John 17, Jesus is on the way to the cross. He knows it. The people around him don't know it. And what we're about to listen to is a very significant conversation he has with the Father. And this gets recorded in God's Word because God wants us to listen in and be aware of this conversation. And we're going to see in this conversation, we're going to look at three parts of this conversation, we're going to see three takeaways that were true in Jesus' life that he wants to be true in ours as well. Uh, last year, uh, in February, I had a uh, pretty significant surgery, and now, even if you have an insignificant surgery, they, they have you come in, and, and they'll have you uh, ask you things like, do you have a, your medical directives, and, and you know your living will, and those kind of things, and so when they start asking you questions like that, you 
you get serious, right? And, uh, you, and so I didn't have some of those things in place. So my wife and I had some pretty significant conversations. You know, going to surgery, you don't know what's going to happen, and maybe you're not going to come out of it. Maybe this is going to be the last time that you have. And so we talked about within our family, like, what would, wanna, what would we want to happen if something happened to me? And, and, um, and there was a couple people in my life that we had some conversations about. They're like, I'm not expecting to die, but in case I do, here's some things we want to make sure we've talked about. And, and I think in this uh, conversation that Jesus is having with the Father, we get to see what's really on his heart. This is one of his last uh, recorded conversations we have. We get to see what's really important to him. We're going to see that he, he prays for himself first, then he's going to pray for his followers, and then he's going to pray for his future followers. So let's look at the beginning here in John 17. I'm not going to read uh, all of it here, but in John 17, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave to me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. In this first part of the prayer, I want to focus on on three words that Jesus says. There's a lot in this prayer that we could take away. The first one I want to focus on is just the word Father. I don't know if you know this. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of this until a few years ago, but Jesus, even though he was a, an Israelite and spoke Hebrew, primarily his primary language was Aramaic. Now, why is that significant? The significance of that is this. In Hebrew culture, often uh, Hebrew was only spoken when they went to the synagogue. When they did religious ceremonies, they spoke Hebrew. But in everyday life, they spoke in Aramaic. The New Testament we have in Greek, but most people understood the words in Aramaic. And what's interesting is, is when Jesus prays, when he taught us to pray, his prayer and in this prayer, when he says, Father, most of the time he was referencing the Aramaic word, which means Abba. Some of you have heard this word. It's a very intimate term. Probably the closest translation that we would have for that word is not father. Father makes us like most of us when we talk, when we talk about our father, that's a more proper, formal term, right? Uh, my sons, I have three sons, they don't call me father. If they do, I know something, something serious is going on. They're trying to butter me up for something. Uh, but daddy is really how Abba is translated best. And so one of the guys I was reading recently, Kenneth Bailey, he talks about the Aramaic word Abba was used in talking about their father, and it could be used, there was a lot of respect in it, it was a person of rank, but it also could be used to address a teacher or a child, um, it was very intimate. But when Jesus used this term in prayer, he was also signaling to his followers and other people that our relationship with God is not something where we need to learn a special language and then we need to be formal all the time. Uh, the rabbis in Jesus' day often taught their people to pray uh, in Hebrew, but Jesus taught them to pray in Aramaic. In other words, your common, everyday, normal language is how he wants to be referenced. Um, this guy I was just referencing here, Kenneth Bailey, he said that um, he would... Um, he was teaching uh, on this uh, to a group of people. 
He was privileged to teach the Lord's Prayer in Arabic to a group of village women in the Lebanese mountains. And in class, he was describing Abba as a first century Aramaic word. And as he spoke and was giving this really specialized teaching on this, he noticed this kind of embarrassed restlessness in the class. So he finally stopped and asked the women if they had any comments. And one of the women shyly put up her hand and told this poor foreigner, Dr. Bailey, Abba is the first word we teach our children. In other words, you don't have to be very educated, be very knowledgeable theologically, just talk to your daddy. And that's what Jesus was doing here. And so in this very most important prayer, he's referencing his daddy and he's teaching us to, to come to God very personally, humbly, uh, but very personally. The other word I want us to see here and think about is the word eternal life. Often when we get to verse 3, and we read it like this, this is eternal life, and Jesus is going to give us a definition of eternal life. Don't look at your Bibles just for a second. Pretend you don't know what this verse says, okay? This is eternal life. Often we want to say, in eternal life, here's what I expect. I expect heaven. I expect no more pain. I expect the richness of heaven. I expect those kinds of things. That's what we're, we're thinking about. We, we often think of the afterlife and, and the absence of pain and things like that. But Jesus doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say this is eternal life. One day you'll get to go to heaven. He doesn't say your pain will one day be gone. What does he say? Now you can look at your Bible. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Real life is really what he's saying here. Real life is simply knowing God. It's about relationship. It's about experiencing God. So one of the most significant things I see in this is that eternal life begins right now. Often we're, we're waiting for heaven. We're waiting for eternal life to begin one day. But Jesus is saying, it starts now. I'm already experiencing it. You can already experience it. And it's happening right now. So Jesus has told us about his Abba, Daddy, Father. He's told us about eternal life, a relationship, an experience that begins right now. Often during this last year, we had seasons in our area, I imagine you did as well, where we could not do many of the things we did. We had to be at home. We had to uh, be very safe. In fact, right as I was coming out of my surgery and was just about ready to get back to real life, this thing called COVID hit. I don't know. Have you all heard about it over here? I don't know. And so, uh, you know, it has changed everything, right? And especially the first couple of months, we didn't know how serious it was. And, and so we stayed at home and, and had very limited activity, and it affected our church life. And, and uh, so there were days where I would wake up and, you know, every day was the same. You get up and turn on the computer. I had, every meeting was by Zoom. I literally got sick of Zoom meetings. I hated that. And uh, it, I couldn't even remember what day it was often because they were all the same. But I remember finally one day I was talking to my wife, Elena, and I said, you know, if I have to be quarantined with anyone, I'm glad it's you. And, uh, you know, sometimes in the mornings because she wasn't going off to work and I wasn't going off to work and doing any travel, we were, we were just together and we got to enjoy our relationship. We, we just got to enjoy being with each other. Uh, I'm enjoying now being able to be back in some of the relationship things. Yesterday, 
for the first time in a while, we had some friends over uh, in the evening and just, just very simple, uh, just played some volleyball and just hung out in the backyard and just had a good time. It wasn't anything spectacular. We didn't spend a lot of money, or anything, but it was just relationship. God is offering that for you. Now, what's amazing is, is he's not just a regular person. I mean, this is the God of the universe. This is your creator. This is your, this is your spiritual father, but he loves you and just says, just enjoy and experience this relationship. And you don't have to wait until heaven. You can enjoy this now. The third word I want us to see as Jesus prays for himself is the word of uh, glory. You'll see this word in there a lot. Um, the word, if you can help me advance one slide, I'm hitting it, but I don't, maybe I'm not hitting it correctly. All right, we'll get there. The next word is glory. And so in, in this word glory, uh, that's not a word we typically use in everyday speech. I'm betting for most of us, in this last week, you did not say the word glory uh, very often. Uh, it's just not a typical word. Uh, probably for us, the word, it's words like fame, magnificence, beauty, amazing strike us uh, more often. Some of you, when you watch a football game or a basketball game, I love watching sports. I love, used to love playing sports. I don't play them as often now, but... Uh, every once in a while, you'll see a play, and I, I've seen grown men who never express emotion would say, that was a beautiful catch. That was amazing. And, and, you know, when they think about beauty, they're not talking about just, you know, like a painting or a beautiful person. They're just saying what they saw was just so amazing. That was significant to them. When we think about God's glory, I think we need to add in these other words, fame, magnificence, beauty, just being amazing. And, and God wants us to hone in on the glory that he has. He wants us to point other people to that, to say, that's amazing what God has done. Look how magnificent he is. Look how amazing God is. And so we see these three things in, in how Jesus prays for himself. Abba, relationship, beauty. The first thing I want you to just take away here is just that your real life begins right now. Your real life begins right now. You don't have to wait until heaven to enjoy the relationship that Jesus has. Let's go to their next section here, starting in verse 9 through 19. Jesus not only has prayed for himself, now he's going to pray for his followers. And I'm going to start, I'm not going to read all of this here, but in, uh, I'm going to read in verse 9, it says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me. I'm not praying for everybody right now. I'm praying for my followers because they're yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I'm glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name. And we're going to come back to that word in just a moment. Some of your versions uh, don't use the word uh, protect. They'll say keep. Protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Who's we? We's the Trinity. God is, we're seeing God having a conversation, the God with himself, the Father and the Son. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you've given me. I've guarded them. So that similar word there is protect. And not one of them is lost. They accept the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. It's interesting here. Jesus knows he's on the way to the cross. 
What's interesting is in another reference in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus continues on to the cross. You ever thought about, think about that? The cross was not a joyful thing. But the reason that Jesus went is he was pursuing joy. He had this love for the Father. He wanted to obey him, but he also wanted to include other people in his joy, in his love, who were not yet a part of his family. And that was what he was after. So that they may have my joy completed in them. Verse 14, I've given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them, there's the word again, from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I just want us to look at that one word here, protect and keep. One of the things I want us to think about um, is what is he trying to pray protection from? Often when we pray, I don't know if your church is like ours, but we have every uh, week we have connection cards and we ask people to put prayer requests. And most of the time, prayer requests are about sicknesses and tragedies and difficulties, those kinds of things. And I, we certainly should pray for those kinds of things. But often in our lives, our biggest focus is on God, please give us your blessings, make our lives a little bit easier. Help me get healed. Uh, help me uh, find this job that I lost. Help me, help me get through this difficult situation. We're praying for the externals, the circumstances to change. A few years ago, we had uh, one of the... Uh, I work with international church planters who are planting here. We have uh, part of our church network. We have uh, 25 church planters currently that are planting, that are here somewhere in Virginia, planting among other nations. And I, I get the privilege of working with them. And one of the guys a few years ago we had was from Iran. And he, uh, while he was, when he trusted Christ as his Savior, he immediately uh, began uh, planting churches. Churches, not one. Planted multiple ones in Iran. He got jailed. He and his wife, they're in their mid-30s, was put in jail. And so he's, he's in our church telling us about this experience. He was in jail for about 40 days, and uh, for some reason, they're not really sure why, he and his wife got released, and um, they knew that there was probably a mistake had been made, and they were going to be rearrested very shortly, so they fled the country. Uh, they, they went to, uh, um, I'm, I'm not sure whether Ukraine or somewhere in that area, Lithuania, and then they, uh, they were there as refugees for a while, and then they came here. And um, He's telling us his story, and so we're listening to the, about his experience in Iran and listening to that. We ask him, how should we pray for the Christians, for the church that's in Iran? And here's what I thought I was going to hear. I thought I would hear, help them be released from prison. Help them have religious freedom. Keep them from being tortured and harmed. Help make their lives better. That's what I thought. I would hear something like that. You know what he asked us to pray for first before everything else? This is, in fact, this is the only thing he said. Pray that they won't recant. In other words, as they're being arrested, as they're being threatened with their life and being tortured, pray the biggest thing you can pray for them is not that they'll be released, 
Not that it will go easier for them. Pray that they'll endure. Pray that they'll hang on to Jesus. That under threat of, of torture and, and imprisonment, that they won't give up their faith in Jesus. If you notice here in this passage, Jesus says, I, I've prayed for protection. In fact, only one of them has, has lost that protection, and it's, he's referencing Judas. In other words, the others were going to go through difficulties, and he wasn't praying their difficulties would go away. He's saying, pray that they'll hang on to you, God. Pray that they'll keep believing. Pray that they'll treasure their relationship with you above all else. Pray that they will not slip into apostasy. Pray that they won't lose their faith. Because with that becomes all the other blessings that we have in life. You know, that, that, when I heard him say that, I went home that day, and that, that conversation has stuck with me ever since because I'm thinking, like, in my life, often I want things to be easier. I want things to be better. But, you know, a bigger problem is if I uh, have a good life and it leads me away from God, if I start leaning more on my material blessings and think more about my vacations and potential retirement and other things, like, I could miss my relationship with God and have all the blessings of this world. I could be living a life with no physical pain and be missing out on the most significant thing in my life. And so Jesus, on his way to the cross, he reminds us that real life begins now, and he's also praying for us, saying, I hope they will be protected. They will be kept by your name. The final thing that he asks us to pray for starts in verse 20. So he's prayed so far for himself, he's prayed for his followers, and now he's going to pray for his future followers. In other words, right in this section here, he was praying for you. And he's not just praying for you, he's praying for your neighbor, your family members, someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. They were on his heart, on his mind. He was praying for you. And so we start in verse 20, and he says, I pray not only for these, the disciples who were right there with him, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Well, that was the next generation of believers. But that was also the ones that would come after them. That was ones who were not yet alive. That was you. That was me. That was my neighbors. That was some of the people I was gathered with last night that I want to see trust Christ as Savior. He says, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Righteous Father, I'm down, I skipped to verse 25. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. I want us to go back and look at verse 21. As he prays for his future followers, as Jesus prayed for you before you were born, before you trusted in Jesus, as Jesus prayed for your loved ones who have not yet trusted in Jesus, he says, may they all be one as you, Father, and me, and I am in you. Now, that's some amazing unity. He was praying for unity. Often what we want um, in our churches and amongst Christians is we want peace. We just don't want there to be any fighting. We want absence of fighting. But Jesus wanted something bigger than absence of fighting. Sometimes in my home, we can have absence of fighting, 
But there's a serious issue that we're just not talking about right at the moment, and we're walking around in eggshells even though there's no active fighting. You have homes like that? I'm the only one. I'm sorry. I'm glad you guys have better than that. But you know how it is. That's not, real, that's not the kind of unity that he's talking about here. He's not talking about absence of fighting. May they all be one. Who's they? You, other believers, other people who will come to Christ. May they be one in what way? What kind of unity was he praying for? As you, Father, are in me, the Son, Jesus, and I am in you. He wants you to have unity with other believers like the Trinity. How unified is the Trinity? Well, the Trinity is so unified that when we start talking about three in one, there's one God and three persons, we, we almost slip into heresy just trying to describe the differences. You know, there's one God, but there's three persons. But where do the three persons end and leave? It's hard to say. You know, I think I've met some people along the way who've been married 50 years. I actually have a, a couple, his, his wife just died. He'd been married over 70 years. And, you know, the thing I notice about people who've been married that length of time and the love they have, it's hard to separate where one begins and the other one ends. You would never, like this couple, uh, you would never invite one of them over for dinner and not the other. How would you make that distinction? You know, you, would, you just wouldn't, you, it's unthinkable. You invite them as a couple, as a unit. They, they come together. And that's just a little picture of how unified our God is. The Father and the Son are different, yet the same, always unified in purpose, never at cross with each other, never different intentions. God wants that for us. He wants us to be unified. And so in our churches and with our, our gathering, we need to be unified. You know, often um, lately, I look around and, and our world is raising issues and conflicts, and often we get caught up in the narrative that our world is, is telling us. Uh, some of the political fighting that happens in the world, it slips into our churches, and, and we start arguing about those same things and caring about those things. And some of the divisions and things, we, we listen to that, and what we really ought to listen to is what Jesus is saying here, that you know we need to have the same unity as the Trinity. We need to have the same unity as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Our final thing we see as Jesus was praying for his followers, we see in verse 23 and in verse 18, he says, I am in them, talking about believers, you, me, others who will come, and you are in me. Why? What's the purpose of this unity? So that they may be completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. In other words, if we're really having the relationship with the Father and the Son, if we're really having unity with each other, as he's talked about, it's going it's to display. We're going to have this worship and devotion for the Father. We're going to have this unity and peace with each other. And that's going to lead to a powerful witness and display to our world. That's going to help our world see that we have been sent by God, that Jesus has come to them, and that Jesus loves them. When our churches, when Christians, when we are at conflict and when we fight, our world does not see clearly the Son who was sent to them and who loves them. If they see a church that's fighting, they, they can't see very clearly that God loves them. They see others who are different than them, and, and yet they don't see the love. 
Down in verse 18, we also see Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them in the world. So in the same way that Jesus left heaven and came here on mission to display his love, we have been sent in the same way. Now, a couple thoughts here, and we're almost done. A couple thoughts as we look at how Jesus prays for his future followers. This often, we need to remember these other parts of the prayer, the beginning, Abba, Daddy, relationship, uh, experience, real life beginning now. I often find in my life, and I suspect it's the same for yours, that I, I don't have a witnessing problem. Witnessing, often we, we reduce witnessing down to a, um, a technique. Uh, I need to learn how to share this particular tract. I need to learn the Romans road. I don't know the words to say. I don't know how to uh, counter that argument that this atheist may have. And we think that is what our focus on, worship, or on witness is. But the real problem with most of our witness is we actually have a worship problem. The worship problem is this, see, if we were just devoted to our God, if he was really our dad and we were just loving him and loving what he's putting into our lives and we're displaying that unity with each other, what would happen is, is that we would so love our father that we would, we would let that love flow to others as well. We would want them to have the same relationship that we have. The Apostle Paul, when he was on trial and was being interrogated uh, by King Agrippa and some others, um, they challenged him and they said that, you know, you're, you're trying to make us become Christians. And he said this, he said, I wish you could have everything that I have. That's what, I want you to have what I have. I do, in fact, want that. Now here, he was talking to kings, to leaders who had wealth. They had power. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if he was in chains at that moment, but he was a prisoner. He was not in an enviable situation. Most of us would not want to change places with him. The king certainly wouldn't want to do that. But the Apostle Paul said, actually, I want you to have what I have except for these chains. I don't want you to be in prison. But really, the life that I have, I have this beautiful life. I love my Jesus. He's done everything for me. I worship him. And I'm not here arguing with you and trying to have a philosophical discussion and trying to get you to come over to my political position. I'm not even trying to get free right now. I just want you to have this relationship that I have. You see, if we love our Jesus, if we worship him, it solves our witnessing problem. It just flows out of where we are. You know, for some of you, you go to a great restaurant and you love it. I know it's been a while. Some of us aren't. We're not too many restaurants are out and about now, but we go to a great restaurant and you love it. Or if you go to, here's what I've noticed recently. We have a gas station, new gas stations come in our area and their gas station, go, the, the price has gone down 10 cents. It's lower than the other places. You know what we do? Once you visit a gas station like that, what do you do? You start telling other people about it. Why? Are, are they giving you a cut on, on anything? Anybody, everybody you bring in, do you get any benefit out of it? You just love it, and you tell people. Well, that's over 10 cents a gallon for gas. Come on. I mean, that's nothing. I'm not telling you to stop doing that. I mean, tell me if you find cheaper gas somewhere. But, you know, but we'll do that. And then yet our God, it's different. We're, we're not so excited about that. We're a little hesitant about that. See, we got to, the problem is not in our witness. We don't really appreciate. We don't really worship our God because if we did, it would flow out. 
And one of the things I see in our world, this goes back to the unity thing, is often we see our world, we paint our world in the same pictures that um, our outside unbelievers paint our world. Oh, I'm a Republican, they're a Democrat. Oh, I'm this particular race and they're that particular race. Uh, oh, I'm a, I'm a heterosexual, they're homosexual. We, 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 we do these kinds of things. And what happens then is that often we get caught up in the same arguments and we try to win people over to a political position or a certain moral position when really we just need to introduce them to a relationship with God. He's going to take care of all those things. We can, we can get involved in those arguments, and even if we win somebody over to that particular position, they're still just as lost. They're still uh, on their way to hell. One of the things I, I'm sharing with our church I want to share with you guys is this. The person in your life who's the farthest from God, your family member, your neighbor, that person right now who lives across the street from you who you really don't even like, they put political signs up that you hate that particular person, okay? and you don't like them at all, you don't like that party, you know what, and you're like, I could never even invite them to church because, man, they're, they, they go to, they're in that party, you know? That person that you see in that way, Jesus was praying for them. He was praying not only for his disciples, but for those who would believe in me. In other words, he was seeing them as future followers of him. And often what we have to learn is when we're sharing with them, when we're preaching, when we're declaring, don't preach to the world. Don't preach at the world. Preach for the world. I have a family member right now who is uh, on my heart. They're very far from God. Moral positions, very different than, than what the Bible tells us they should be politically do not agree on many issues there. And it's very easy, if I'm not careful, to get into arguments with that person and try to convince them of the intellectual superiority of my position. It's not going to do any good. You know what God is teaching me? God is teaching me that I want you to have my heart for them. I want you to Matt, talking to me, God's talking to me, to just love your relationship you have with me. And if you'll love the relationship you have with me, that's going to be one of the greatest things you can do to make your family member envious and to make them want what you have. But you're going to need to display unity and peace and be on mission. And when you do have a chance to talk to them, don't preach at them. Don't preach to them. Preach for them. How can I most lovingly, gently say, this is what I want for you. I want you to have the same relationship that I have with the Father. I'm not trying to like twist your arm and make you have something. Why do you tell somebody where there's gas that's 10 cents a gallon cheaper? You just want them to have that benefit that you had. And your God, what do you enjoy about your relationship with God that you want others to have? I, this has been so great. I just want you to have this. As we think about this prayer that Jesus had, I, I see one other place in Scripture. It's probably more, but there's definitely one other place in Scripture where we see all these themes come together. And it's not Jesus right now. It's the Apostle Paul 
Well, as Jesus said, I love my relationship with God. Real life begins now. The worst thing that could happen to me is me stepping away from my relationship with God. And so I move ahead in unity and mission, and I care for those around me. So in 2 Corinthians 5, we read this. The Apostle Paul says, and he's going to be talking about our witness, but he says, For the love of Christ compels us. Not the wrongness of my neighbors, but the love of Christ compels us, since we've reached this conclusion that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Paul is all about his relationship with Jesus. He's like, I can't even think about anything else. Jesus died for me, and I was a rebel. I was so against him, and so I can't think about anything else, but just enjoying my relationship with him. And if you're in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, he says, From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. I don't know what political parties everybody's in. I don't know, you know, uh, what, what particular issues that we're different on. I, I don't divide people up like that. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Because therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. One of the things I want to tell you, especially for those of you who've been Christians a long time, and I'm guessing, I don't know you, but I'm guessing some of you have been Christians for decades. One of the things that we need to never get over is what an amazing thing it was that God saved the rebel you. Sometimes we, we after we've been saved a long time, we start thinking, you know, God just, he kind of almost had to save me. I was so close. He just kind of tweaked me over the edge. He didn't tweak you. All right? He had to transform you. He didn't just paint you up a little bit. No, he, it, was an, it was a miracle that he saved you. It was a miracle that he saved me. One of the things I'm seeing, the, the longer I've been in faith in Christ, when I look back, is I'm more amazed that Jesus saved me now than I was then because I'm more aware how bad I was, how much a rebel I was. Uh, I, I, I look back and I go, oh, ugh, I was worse than I thought. I can't believe I, I had that arrogance, that perspective. And wow, Jesus, you, you lovingly, humbly saved me when I was like that. Why would you do that? And so when we look back, don't ever get over the amazement that God saved you but always remember, I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. The old's passed away. The new has come. Thank goodness. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. You get to be connected to, related to the God of the universe. That's a miracle. And it's not done there. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's just like what Jesus was talking about that he wants us to be one with him, and then he wants that unity and love to show the world the love that he has for them. He wants us to offer that to them. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, he's not preaching at people. He's not preaching to people, he's preaching for them, saying, be reconciled to God. As you go home, there is so much more in Jesus' prayer 
that we didn't talk about today. I, I didn't give you everything that was there, but three takeaways we see from Jesus' prayer. Real life begins now. Don't wait till heaven. The biggest thing you want to focus on is just keeping your faith in God. Don't, don't lose that. But then finally, step forward in the unity and mission that Jesus uh, had for us, and we need to extend to others. Let's pray together.